Hello and welcome to the Minimum Competence episode for Friday, June 30th, 2023. I'm your host for today, Andrew Leahy, a tax and technology attorney from New Jersey. In today's episode, we have a lot of SCOTUS decisions, all of them bad. There's really no way to mince words about that. We have affirmative action for university admissions being effectively killed. Web designer has free reign to discriminate against clients. And SCOTUS is now set to rule on student loan forgiveness later today. So we'll close out with an open AI story as sort of a palate cleanser. Let's frankly just get through today's legal news. On this day, June 30th in legal history, the 26th Amendment was ratified, making the legal voting age a uniform 18. The amendment is straight and to the point, consisting of two sections and holding. Section 1. The right of citizens of the United States who are 18 years of age or older to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of age. Section 2. The Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. The history of this reduction of the voting age is inextricably tied to Vietnam. During the 1960s, there was a growing movement across the United States to lower the voting age from 21 to 18. This push was fueled in part by the war, as young men between 18 and 21 were being drafted into the military. Advocates argued that if these individuals were old enough to fight, they should be old enough to vote. Facing legislative inaction, supporters of lowering the voting age included a provision in a 1970 bill that extended the Voting Rights Act. However, the Supreme Court ruled in Oregon v. Mitchell that Congress couldn't lower the voting age for state and local elections. To avoid confusion and costs associated with maintaining separate voting rolls, Congress proposed and the states ratified the 26th Amendment, which lowered the voting age from 18 for all elections and happened on this day in 1971. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that universities cannot use race as a factor in admissions, overturning decades of precedent. The court's 6-3 decision stated that programs at Harvard College and the University of North Carolina violated the Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. Chief Justice John Roberts, writing for the court, rejected the argument that these programs were necessary for campus diversity. The ruling is expected to lead to fewer Black and Hispanic students at top universities and require many schools to revise their admissions policies. President Joe Biden disagreed strongly with the decision, claiming it effectively ends affirmative action in college admissions. Rather than recount the stretched logic and thinly masked reasoning behind the majority's overturning decades of precedent, I'll summarize Justice Jackson's dissent. Justice Jackson highlights the existence of significant racial disparities in the health, wealth, and well-being of American citizens, which have been inherited from the past and continue to persist today. She argues that these disparities contradict the fundamental principle of equality and suggests that holistic admissions programs, like the one implemented by the University of North Carolina, are a necessary solution to address this issue. She joins Justice Sotomayor's opinion that race can be considered in college admissions to ensure racial diversity, emphasizing the universal benefits of such considerations. She counters the contention made by the plaintiff, Students for Fair Admissions, that considering race in admissions is unfair, stating that it ignores the historical and ongoing impact of discrimination and the transmission of inequality across generations. Ultimately, Justice Jackson dissents from the majority's decision to restrict the use of race in admissions, arguing that it hampers progress without a legal, historical, logical, or justifiable basis. A particularly salient quote from Justice Jackson's dissent is the following. With let the meat cake obliviousness today, the majority pulls the ripcord and announces colorblindness for all by legal fiat. But deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. And having so detached itself from this country's actual past and present experiences, the court has now been lured into interfering with the crucial work that UNC and other institutions of higher learning are doing to solve America's real world problems. In a 6-3 decision, the U.S. Supreme Court sided with a Christian website designer who argued that her freedom of speech entitled her to create wedding pages exclusively for opposite-sex couples. The court determined that anti-discrimination laws, including the specific Colorado measure involved in the case, must allow for exceptions for businesses engaged in expressive activities. In an absolutely appalling quote, 
that I'll leave you with to wonder how it might play out in conjunction with another combination of religious professional and their beliefs. The majority recounts, Ms. Smith will gladly conduct business with those having protected characteristics so long as the custom graphics and websites she is asked to create do not violate her beliefs. Ms. Smith stresses that she does not create expressions that defy any of her beliefs for any customer, whether that involves encouraging violence, demeaning another person, or promoting views inconsistent with her religious commitments. You know, it's almost like denying service for a couple based on who they are is, in fact, demeaning another person. Quick programming note here. This episode was recorded just prior to SCOTUS releasing its decision knocking down the Biden student loan relief program promulgated under the 2003 HEROES Act. Nothing said contradicts that decision, but I do speak of it as forthcoming, and it is no longer. We have it. It's bad. Carry on. Today, the U.S. Supreme Court is expected to issue a ruling on the legality of President Joe Biden's plan to cancel $430 billion in student loan debt, which aims to benefit up to 43 million Americans. The conservative justices expressed skepticism during arguments in February, considering legal challenges brought by six conservative-leaning states and two individual borrowers. The ruling has significant implications for the 26 million borrowers who sought relief after Biden announced the plan but faced opposition from lower courts. Biden's plan, fulfilling a campaign promise, seeks to cancel a portion of the $1.6 trillion in federal student loan debt, but it faced criticism from Republicans who viewed it as an overreach of presidential authority. The plan would forgive up to $10,000 or $20,000 in federal student debt based on income and grant eligibility. The Biden administration argued that the plan is authorized under the 2003 HEROES Act, which empowers the education secretary to modify student loan financial assistance during emergencies. The legal challenge faced opposition from a federal judge in Missouri, but was found to have proper standing by the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Additionally, a federal judge in Texas ruled that the plan exceeded the administration's authority. Public opinion on the debt relief plan is divided along partisan lines, with Democrats generally supportive and Republicans opposed. The Supreme Court's ruling will have significant implications for student loan borrowers and the Biden administration's efforts to address student debt. OpenAI Inc. is facing another class action copyright lawsuit that alleges its popular AI chatbot, ChatGPT, is trained on books without obtaining permission from the authors. The lawsuit claims that ChatGPT's machine learning training dataset includes content that OpenAI copied without consent, credit, or compensation. OpenAI and other generative AI companies have been encountering intellectual property and privacy lawsuits as regulators in Congress attempt to regulate the industry. This latest lawsuit follows a previous class action suit against OpenAI, accusing the company's AI models of scraping personal information from the internet in violation of privacy laws. It also references a separate copyright suit filed in 2022 regarding OpenAI's AI coding assistant, Copilot. The plaintiffs in the current case, authors Paul Tremblay and Mona Awad, allege that ChatGPT has provided accurate summaries of their books, leading them to believe their works were copied without permission. The lawsuit also mentions a 2020 paper from OpenAI, which states that a portion of the training dataset comes from, quote, shadow libraries like Library Genesis and Sci-Hub, which illegally publish copyrighted works. And with that, I thank you so much for listening to this especially difficult Minimum Competence, your daily news podcast for lawyers. If you're looking for more than Minimum Competence, links to further reading on all the topics touched on today are in the show notes. If you have any questions or story suggestions, you can find us on Mastodon on the esq.social instance. I'm at Andrew and my co-host Gina is at Gina. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and do not represent those of any organization we may be affiliated with. Nothing here should be construed as legal advice because it is not legal advice. Reviews go a long way towards helping new listeners to find our show. If you have a moment, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast player. We'd appreciate it. And if you know someone that might be interested in the story we cover, consider sending them the episode. Minimum Competence is available at minimumcomp.com and wherever you get your finely crafted podcasts. We'll see you back here on Monday. And until then, remember, when the Supreme Court issues an opinion that seems reasonable in the future, just know they're holding in abeyance some absolute trash. <laughs>